Father, I thank you so much for this morning and how you've given us a privilege to come together to worship you, to proclaim your son's death, to praise you and honor you for what you did through him, to declare your excellencies. And I pray as we look into your word, you would work uh, that which is pleasing in our hearts, that we would respond in a way by faith that you are glorified and pleased today. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Lord God in his word makes it clear that although, uh, that although man is in need of salvation, uh, there are two types of people in the world. There are two types of people in need of salvation in the world. Uh, we have in Romans chapter 1, we see the irreligious who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. They could care less about religion. They are in need of salvation. But we also see by the example in Romans chapter 2, the, the Jewish non-believer, the religious person of his day that thought he had a relationship with the Lord, but didn't, was just as culpable for their sin and were storing up God's wrath uh, unto his judgment. Apart from Christ, whether you are religious or irreligious, you are in sin. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the Lord says. And the Lord says in Ezekiel 18, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sins will die. Now we know because of our sins, we are separated from God. We are separated from the life of God because of spiritual death. And when we sin, we recognize in this life that sin is wearisome. It's wearisome. And I guarantee if you haven't come to faith in Jesus Christ yet, your soul is not at rest. You see, there's no peace for the soul that is separated from God. We see in Isaiah 57, But the wicked are like the passing or tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and the waters toss up and refuse in, in refuge in mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. There's no peace. As much as you try to gain peace in your life, if you are apart from Christ, I guarantee you have no peace. There's no rest. Now, the most wonderful thing is that God is a gracious God, that he wouldn't leave us in our sins, that he would do what none of us could do or would do. He would send his only son, God the Son, would come and take on human flesh and die for our sins. And we're going to see today, within that context, as we continue our break before we start our next series, the next book that we go to, how we can find true rest for our souls. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And we're going to be looking at verses 20 to 30. Now, the book of Matthew, and I'm going to abbreviate the context here. We talked about it last week and the week before, but uh, the book of Matthew is about the Messiah King, Jesus Christ. Matthew is about God the Son who took on human flesh to save his people from their sins. You see, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, came to his own, the Jewish people, those who would name his name, but yet they were sitting in darkness and sin. And Jesus graciously having the way prepared for him by John the Baptist concerning repentance, Jesus taught then and preached the kingdom, as we see. And he affirmed his person as being God in human flesh through the miraculous. And yet the Jews uh, did not respond to the reality of what Jesus was sharing. 
We see in Mark chapter 1, he begins to preach, repent and believe the gospel. You see, the king was at hand. The king who desired to have a relationship with his creation, but yet sin is in the way. And so we see the Lord Jesus sharing his truth and sharing about him and the need of salvation. And we saw in chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew, the king reveal what kingdom righteousness really looked like in light of the phony righteousness of those uh, Pharisees and the Jews of that day. The Jews believed that they were saved of that day, and yet Jesus revealed to them what true kingdom citizenship looked like. And he affirmed his call for repentance, revealing that he is the narrow gate, he is the only way, he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father but by him. That in chapter 10, the heart of our Savior was manifest as he instructed and sent out his disciples in the midst of the multitude of lost souls. And in chapter 11, Jesus affirmed the ministry of John the Baptist and clearly began to transition at that point from openly preaching the gospel to condemning those who had rejected his truth that he had brought forth, who had rejected the message. And indeed, as we'll see in a little bit, we'll see the face of the unrepentant, that they were religiously deluded, playing games with God, trying to come to him on their own terms. And then you would see the resulting maligning of God the Son and John the Baptist, those who would bring his word and those who prepared the way. And now we're going to see today that although man is steeped in rejection on his way to hell, the Lord Jesus continues to graciously offer salvation and thus rest for one's soul. Again, turn to Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to see how we can find rest for our souls. Matthew 11, verse 20. Then he began to reproach the cities in which most of his miracles were done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And Capernaum will not be and you Capernaum will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You shall descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. And at that time, Jesus answered and said, "I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth." that thou didst hide these things from the wise and intelligent and didst reveal them to babes. Yes, Father, for thus it was well-pleasing in thy sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. Well, there's a lot here, and we're not going to get into every detail of it today, but I think we're going to get to the point in which the Lord intended 
that's clearly revealed in three portions of this uh, passage that we saw today. And I believe, first of all, how we can find rest for our souls, we need to recognize and be warned not to reject the truth concerning Jesus Christ, or you will be eternally judged. And this is not my opinion, this is from the mouth of God in human flesh. Verse 20, Then he began to reproach the cities in which most of his miracles were done, because they did not repent. Now, Jesus had been sharing his truth concerning the kingdom. The king is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Believe in him. He's the way, the truth, and life. He had been sharing to these Jews for about two and a half years. And apparently, these cities, as we will see in a moment, they had seen many of his miracles. The miracles were the affirming reality that this is the Son of God and that what he is saying is true. This generation of Jews had rejected the message, first of all, of repentance through John the Baptist, preparing the way, and then of Jesus. And if you were with us years ago when we studied through the book of Matthew, you might remember that Jesus likened the current generation of Jews, religious Jews, to spoiled, to spoiled children. Those who would get upset when others wouldn't play the game they wanted to play. Kind of see that today on the news, don't we, right? Matthew 11, go back a little bit, Matthew 11, 16, 16. Jesus is going to say, hey, this is what I compare this generation that he had been around for two and a half years, proclaiming repentance and faith in him. He says, but what shall I compare this generation? It's like a child sitting in the marketplace, verse 16 of chapter 11, who call out to other children and say, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating or drinking, and they say he is a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax gatherers and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. This generation had rejected the Lord. And so he begins to reproach the generation. And the first reproach he begins to bring is a reproach upon the cities that had seen the most miraculous things. Now you're going to say, wow, we've never seen the miraculous. Well, we have it recorded for us. We've seen more than them, by the way. Keep that in mind. Whenever you see someone truly come to faith, you have seen the miraculous if they truly come to faith. So he says here, then he began to approach the cities in which most of his miracles were done because what? They did not what? Repent. Now, what, where were most of the cities in which his miracles were done? These were cities in the Galilee region, which we're going to see in a moment. These are cities in which Jesus healed the sick, opened the eyes of the blind, cleansed the lepers, forgave sins, and raised the dead. You might remember in chapters 8 and 9, we see much of the miraculous. And that's how it's really framed in the book of Matthew. You have the introduction moving up to John the Baptist in the beginning of the ministry of the Lord Jesus. And then you have, uh, at the end of chapter 4, the miraculous. He calls his uh, disciples the miraculous. Then you have his teaching in 5 through 7. Then from 8 and 9, you have the miraculous again. It's, It's a sandwich which shows us the truth of what God is doing in the context of being truly God by performing those miracles. Remember Matthew chapter 4. You can turn back there and look at it, or I'll just read it for you. Matthew 4, 23. And Jesus was going about in what? All Galilee. And notice what he was doing. It wasn't just simply a miracle time. He was teaching the word of God. He was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. 
teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. And the news about him went into all Syria, and they brought him into they brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Chapter 4. Then chapter 9, we have a parallel statement. It's a bookend here. Chapter 9, verse 35. And Jesus was going about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming, 9.35, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. He was proclaiming the reality that he is the king and that you must come to him by faith in him because you're in your sins. You must repent, as we'll say. You see, God had taken on human flesh and his message was to repent because he was at hand. You can't have a relationship with a holy God, with the King of kings and Lord of lords while you're in your sin. You must repent. You must turn to the king from your sin and we'll talk about that in a minute. And so along with that preaching and teaching, there was the miraculous to affirm his personhood as God in human flesh. But back in our passage, he began to reproach the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. So Jesus is still speaking to them, and he is beginning to condemn them. And so he says, because they, the, Matthew says, because they didn't repent. Now, you might be asking the question, what is repentance? What does that mean? Hear it in church a lot. What is repentance? Well, the word in and of itself, metanoia, speaks, noia, mind, meta, means a change of mind. Now, true repentance, if you truly have a change of mind, there's going to be a change of your behavior, as we'll say. If you truly believe you are sinful and you truly believe you need a Savior, you're truly going to turn to that Savior from your sin to be saved. Metanoia, repentance. And repentance is a turning to God to be forgiven from sin, which you acknowledge in the context of faith. Hebrews chapter 6, he says, Therefore, leaving elementary teachings of Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. We saw repentance in the lives of the Thessalonians, didn't we? These were pagan idolaters doing their idolatry, and when they heard the word of God, they believed it as God's word, not the word of men, and they turned to God from idols. First Thessalonians 9, For they themselves report what kind of reception we had with you, how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. That's repentance. There's a change of mind which accompanies a change of behavior, if there's really truly a change of mind. We see in Acts chapter 17, this is what God is declaring to all men everywhere. God is declaring us to you today. Acts 17.30, Therefore, having overlooked times of ignorance, God is now declaring to all men everywhere that everywhere that all should repent. And here's why. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness, through the man, through a man whom you appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Because there is a judgment, God says repent before that judgment, because he's a, he's a good God. He's a good God. Luke chapter 24, 
Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. This is Jesus after he rose from the dead, verse 45. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And you see, it's the gospel, as Paul would tell Timothy, that, that gives you the wisdom and knowledge of salvation. And when you realize what God is saying is true because he's convicting you by his spirit, you have a change of mind. What you thought was not sinful, what you justified before, you realize is sinful. What you understood about your, the future in a judgment, which you didn't believe before, you believe now. And you turn to Jesus for deliverance. You see, God's loving kindness leads us to repentance. Romans chapter 2. Or do you take lightly the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? He's so patient. We sit it up in our lives and go so many years sticking our thumb in his face in a sense. He's patient. He's gracious. And his loving kindness leads you to repentance. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God might grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. We see it throughout Scripture, and it is through the preaching of the word that sinners are called to repent. They're not called to change their lives. They're called to acknowledge their sinfulness, recognize the culpability for their sin and judgment, and turn to Jesus Christ for forgiveness of that sin. And in doing that, you're going to turn away from it if you really believe it's that bad, right? If you believe what God says about it, you're going to turn to Jesus to be delivered. Back in chapter 4, verse 17, it says, From that time Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so the Lord Jesus is sharing his truth. Repent, he says to each and all men everywhere, God says. Repent, change your mind and believe what God says about yourself, your sin and judgment and the Savior, Jesus Christ, and turn to him. Turn, turn, repent. Have you repented of your sins? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Well, what happens if you don't do it? What happens if you do a phony baloney repentance where you admit a little bit here, but you still say, no, that's not bad. It's okay. What happens if what God says you don't accept? He says, this is sin. And you go, um. what happens? Notice in our passage, then he began back in our passage. Then he began to approach the cities where most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Notice what Jesus says now. Woe to you, Corazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon had occurred in you, they would have repented, Jesus' own words, long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. The term woe is a statement of verbal condemnation of an end and an impending judgment. You don't want the living God saying to you, Woe, you don't want that. And these cities, Chorazin and Bethsaida, they were cities in Galilee where Jesus had done many miracles. And in the context of Matthew, he was always teaching and preaching. That's what he was doing. But he was affirming it with the miraculous so that the message was absolutely affirmed to be by God. 
And so if you didn't repent, you were rejecting God right out. Right out. He says, because they did not repent. Woe to you. What do you? And we have an interesting explanation, which is very interesting. We don't get too deep into it. If you're a thinker, you've got to turn that off and just believe what God says, by the way, because we can get too caught up in our own heads at times, by the way. He says here, in an interesting explanation, what do you, Corson? What do you, Bethsaida? Now listen to the explanation. For, he's going to explain. For, if the miracles, which affirmed his teaching and preaching, that's what Matthew is about, and his personhood, had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Now, he's speaking to Jews, and the Jews were very hypocritical. They thought they had a relationship with the Lord, and they would point at every non-Jew and look at those dogs, look at those evil people and their sins. She's a sinner, he's a sinner, whatever, tax gatherer, whatever it might be. And for them, these towns, Tyre and Sidon, were Phoenician coastal cities, which we would call Lebanon today. They were very materialistically wicked. We see later on the king of Titan in Ezekiel 28 reflects who's behind him, which is Satan, ultimately. They were very materialistic. You see that in Ezekiel 26 and 27. And these were cities in which uh, Israel, who claimed to follow the Lord, would look at them and say, wicked people. Now he says, interestingly here, for if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, those wicked cities, which occurred, and if they had seen what you had seen, if they had heard the truth of the gospel, affirmed by the miraculous, that's the context of Matthew, they would have repented long ago. If they had the revelation that you had, they would have repented. It's a condemnation. Whoa. Whoa. Some of you grown up in Christian homes. You've had the church, truth of the church around you the whole time, the Bible, the scriptures of Jesus. You've had lots of truths. They had lots of truth. I pray the Lord doesn't say this to you because you haven't repented. The reality is he calls upon all men to repent. And notice what he says. Nevertheless, verse 22, I say it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon than the day of judgment. There are a few. Some interesting things. There is a day of judgment, Jesus says. And he says there is differing levels of judgment, by the way. Well, that says all sin is the same, the same level of judgment. There's judgment for sin, the smallest sin, but there's varying levels of judgment. God is a fair judge. Don't think that some sin is, is uh, the, some, that it's all the same. He's going to point out some of the worst sin there is, is to reject the truth of Jesus Christ, to reject the revelation that's been brought forth to you. So now, we don't want to get into the hypothetical arguments. Why didn't Jesus give more revelation to them so they would repent? We don't want to get into that because God is gracious and he gives everybody what they need to be saved. He's the savior of the world. And then God allows hearts to be hardened. He does. He allows them to be hardened. And if you reject him, he'll allow your heart to be hardened so that you won't repent. Uh, Matthew 13, we talked about this last time. Uh, Matthew 13, the disciples came to him, verse 10. Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, To you it has been granted the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not been granted. For whatever, for whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, what he has shall be taken away from him. 
Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but not understand. You will keep on seeing, but not perceive. And then he says, why? Here's why this is happening. Here's why God is letting you go hard into judgment. For the heart of this people has become dull or, or hardened, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. They close their eyes. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand their heart and return, and I should heal them. In the book of Luke, same parallel passage says, and I saved them. I saved them. So then, there's uh, a judgment. And uh, we see here that for Tyre and Sidon, it's going to be less, it's going to be more tolerable than for these cities that outright rejected the Messiah in their midst, performing miracles and declaring, repent for the kingdom is at hand. So then, that's the point. How much more culpable are these Galilean towns? How much more culpable? And he says to you, for they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Sackcloth and ashes, that's just a sense, a sense of, of mourning over your sin. Not a phony baloney, but a, a real realizing, man, my sin is wrong. I've sinned against God. Sackcloth and ashes, nevertheless, be more tolerable. And then he says, in the day of judgment. God is declaring to all men everywhere that they should repent because he's fixed a day in which he will judge the world through the man Jesus Christ, having furnished proof by raising him from the dead. There is a judgment day. God says so. And there's judgment upon those who do not repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 9, 27, it is appointed to man once to die and then the judgment. Back in Matthew chapter 10, the Lord Jesus clearly reveals there is a judgment. Clearly reveals. Matthew 10, 14, Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that house, shake off the dust off your feet, for truly I say it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment. Matthew 12, verse 35, The good man out of the good treasure brings forth what is good, and out of the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. I say to you that every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render account for it on the day of judgment. Now, God says that, and if you don't accept that, you are not repentant. God says that. It shows pride that you think you know more than God if you don't accept the truth that God says there's a day of judgment. And what a praise and a wonderful thing it is when someone who's not saved hears the truth and goes, yes, okay, I need a Savior from that judgment. Praise the Lord. They accept the Word of God as what it really is, the Word that performs its work in you who believe. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, after all is said and done, Solomon says this, after all is said and done, he says, the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments, for this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Every single act will be brought to judgment. I mentioned it earlier that God is declaring to all men everywhere they should repent because he's fixed a day in which he'll judge the world through the man Jesus Christ, having furnished proof, raising it from the dead. Hebrews chapter 10. 
This is for those who would come to church in a sense and play the game and, and say they're believers, but yet not have really truly come to Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10.26, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands the living God. You don't know if you're going to live one more minute. And it is appointed man wants to die and then the judgment. And the only way, as we'll see, to escape judgment is through faith in Jesus Christ, who took all of God's wrath upon himself. And therefore, because of Christ, if we believe in him, God doesn't judge us because he already paid the sins through his son. His son paid the penalty for the sins. And so back in our passage, he says, Nevertheless, I say to you, Verse 22, it shall be more tolerable and entire and silent in the day of judgment than for you. I tell you today, if you reject Christ after hearing this truth, you have a more culpable to judgment. If you walk out of here after hearing there's a judgment day for all your actions, every behavior, every word and deed, whether good or evil, and you walk out of here and you don't repent, realizing you need Jesus as a Savior, you are more culpable on that day day of judgment. And God doesn't desire that. He does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that all should repent and live, Ezekiel 18. You see, we have a lot more truth than what they had in those days, by the way. We have a lot more revelation. And if you've grown up in a Christian home and you reject what you have heard, you are in deep trouble. And if you haven't grown up in a Christian home and you're hearing it now today, which you are, and you reject it, you're in deep trouble. But God is good. God is good. Notice he continues to reprove those cities. Verse 23. In Capernaum, you will not be exalted to heaven, will you? That was a city in Galilee. You shall descend to Hades. For if the miracles that occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say it should be more tolerable in the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. He's saying, Capernaum, you're not going to heaven, are you? think you are, but you're going to Hades. Because you didn't repent. That's the context. God, in human flesh, was in your midst doing the miraculous to prove he's God and the message that he said is his message which he will carry out. He's saying an amazing statement that the wicked city of Sodom and Gomorrah that that he destroyed with fire and brimstone, if they had seen what you have seen, they would have repented. That's quite an amazing statement. But notice the great spiritual pride of Capernaum. These are religious people, by the way. There's two types of people that aren't saved. Those religious and those irreligious. And Capernaum, you will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You shall descend to Hades. Jesus made it very clear that Hades is the place where the soul goes who has rejected him. And it's a temporal place of torment. Turn to Luke chapter 16. We see this as Jesus shares this. God is warning us in advance. 
And the only thing that gets in the way is pride. Because if God says there's a judgment, and I say, no, there isn't, then that's my pride in the way. I'm greater than God. I know more than God. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. Now there was a certain rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, gaily living in splendor every day. And a certain poor man named Lazarus, who was laid at his gate, was covered in sores, with sores. And longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table, besides even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now it came about that the poor man died, and he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. That's where his body went, by the way, but keep reading. And in Hades... He lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received good things and Lazarus, likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all of this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed in order that those who wish to come over from here... This is what happens in the afterlife, by the way. You want to know really truly from God? He's sharing it right here. He says, the wish that would not hear would not be able and that those none of those cross over from here, from there to us. And he said, then I beg you. It's funny how people acknowledge it when they're, in, when they're truly in, in, uh, in, in bondage to their sin, you know, when... And here in Hades, right now people can reject Christ, but when God is, uh, has complete uh, authority over you and is exhibiting that because of your sin, they admit it. He says here, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them lest they come to this place of torment. Send Lazarus to my brothers to tell them about where I am right now. Send him, please, I beg you. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. They've got the word of God. That was a slang term for the Old Testament, Moses and the prophets. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will what? Notice what he says. They will repent. This rich man in Hades, because of his sin, knows exactly why he's there. And he's saying, send them, send Lazarus to my brothers. But he said to him, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen to the word of God, neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. You see, that's the place where those apart from Christ, which was all of us before Jesus, and if you haven't trusted in him yet, this is where the Lord God says you will go. And if you reject Christ from there, then there is a judgment after that. There's a day of judgment. Revelation 20. Turn to Revelation 20. And as I read these things, I am so thankful that God has saved me from this. Because he's a holy God and a righteous judge. And he gave the provision of his son. Revelation 20, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it from whose presence heaven and earth fled away. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. 
and the sea gave up its dead, which was in it, and death in Hades gave up its dead. That's, that's the body and soul being reunited unto judgment, by the way. And he says, and death in Hades were thrown, and he says, death in Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. Earlier, the Lord Jesus made it clear that he who overcomes has his name in the book of life. And John, who wrote Revelation inspired by the Spirit, said in 1 John 5, who is it who overcomes? Those who have faith in Jesus Christ. We overcome sin and death by faith in the overcomer, Jesus Christ. Only Jesus could defeat sin and death and Satan. And so the Lord Jesus, back in our passage, is reproving these cities. And you, Capernaum, you're not going to be exalted to heaven. Well, you think you're going to heaven, do you? You shall descend to Hades. That's because they didn't repent the truth of their sinfulness and need of a Savior. Friend, you've heard much about Christ. You've heard much about your sin. I exhort you to repent before it's too late. You have no idea when you will die. Some of you may think you're on your way to heaven because of your religiousness, whatever it is, but you're playing games with God. You don't like his message because it calls you to forsake your sin, whatever it might be. But if you don't repent, you'll find yourself in Hades and then hell. And you see, God is a patient God, not willing for any to perish. He's a gracious God, a kind, merciful God. You know, and unfortunately these days, there's not much repentance being spoken of. It's a dirty word and rarely hear it in churches these days. I rarely ever hear, unless you repent, you will likewise perish, as Jesus said. I rarely hear that God is declaring to all men everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day in which he'll judge. Our churches are like a desert wilderness, just like the Jews of the time of Christ. They claim to know God, but they're full of unbelief. They think they're on their way to heaven. But if they haven't repented, they're on their way to hell. What about you? What would Jesus say about you? Would he say, woe to you, so-and-so? You've heard the truth. What would he say? I proclaim to you today that repentance for the forgiveness of sins is brought forth through Jesus Christ. So how can we find rest for our sin-sick souls? First of all, heed the warning. Heed the warning. Secondly, we need to realize that salvation is not a work of ours, but a work of God's. You see, the Jews tried to work their way to heaven, and there may be some of you trying to work your way to heaven. Look at verses 25 and 6 here back in our passage. It seems really out of place. It really does, but it's right in place. At that time, Jesus answered and said, at that time, he's just condemned those cities. At that time, Jesus answered, I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou didst hide these things from the wise and intelligent and reveal them to babes. Yes, Father, for thus it is well-pleasing in thy sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Interesting portion of scripture that shows the complete sovereignty of God and salvation. Don't be deceived. It doesn't come from man. 
Salvation does not originate in the will of man. It originates in the will of God. And then man is responsible to respond. He says, at this time, I praise thee, O Father. It's, this is an interesting word. Uh, homologia means to confess. Homo, say the same. This is ex homologia, which means to proclaim outwardly, to confess something outwardly. I praise thee, O Father, um, Lord of heaven and earth. Loud praise. Ex homologia. It's the same word in Philippians 2.11, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Now we have a parallel passage which gives us some added insight in the book of Luke. And it says in Luke 10.21, at this very time he rejoiced greatly in the Spirit. Very interesting. And said, I praise thee, O Lord, Father and Lord of heaven and earth, that thou dost hide these things from the wise and intelligent and reveal them to babes. Yes, Father, for this is well-pleasing in thy sight. So the Lord Jesus is praising outwardly and rejoicing about something, about people going to hell. Is that really what it is? We see he takes no pleasure in that. No. What he's praising and rejoicing in is the reality that God does not allow those who are wise and intelligent in themselves to be saved through their own ways, but he saves those who are like children who acknowledge what he says. That thou dost hide these things from the wise and intelligent. Those are the people that think they got it figured out. They hear the message and go, no, it can't be. I, they can't. You know, they, they got it figured out. There is a kind of person who is pure in his own eyes, yet is not washed from his filthiness. These are the spiritually prideful, and God is rejoicing that the spiritually prideful can't see it. Can't see it. It's hidden from them. But who are the babes and infants? I don't think it's hard to understand. I believe it's a characteristic that Jesus reveals. Uh, it's a characteristic of all infants. They're totally dependent. They have no self-sufficiency at all. We see that in Matthew chapter 18, where the Lord Jesus shares, Truly, truly, I say, unless you are converted and become like children, who is holding an infant, not a child, but an infant, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom. You humble yourself by acknowledging this is God, it's what he says. What I think isn't relevant. What he says is true. I believe it. But if you are prideful and arrogant, God is well pleased that you don't see it. He is well pleased. And he praises He praises the Father here. Is this not what the Apostle Paul shared in 1 Corinthians? Turn to 1 Corinthians about the gospel. You see, pride is man's problem, and God's not going to let man come to him in his pride. And he's going to hide the truth from you if you're prideful. You're not going to see, you're going to be blind. If you come as a child, he'll open your heart and help you understand the truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 118, For the word of the cross to those, is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever. This is what God is saying. I will set aside. Where is the man, wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made the foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the, in the wisdom of the world God, for since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased. He was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. 
For indeed, Jews ask for signs, Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, to Jews a stumbling block, to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the call, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many, many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are. This is amazing what he's explaining to you. I hope you can hear it. That no man should boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Just as it is written, Isaiah 9.23, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's what he's doing. So I understand what Jesus is saying. I believe this is a warning too. Don't be wise in your own eyes. You won't see it. You will be blinded. You will not see it and you'll go to your destruction. Don't do it. Humble yourself like a child and accept what God says and respond. Have you ever humbled yourself like a child before the living God, acknowledging you don't know anything truly? That your view is skewed, your perception is, is, is flawed, that everything he says is true? When the Thessalonians came to faith, Paul praised God because they accepted it as the word of God, not the word of men. They truly came like children. So notice he says that it's all up to him. Verse 27, all things have been handed over to me by my father, and no one knows the son except the father. No one knows the father except the son. And then he says, and to anyone whom the son wills to reveal it. Salvation comes from God and not from men. Not from men. Christ has been handed everything. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. Matthew 28. What strikes me here is the last statement of 27. But he will reveal to whom the Son wills to reveal him. And God is gracious. He has willed to reveal his Son to you through his word. You see, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word, word was with God, and the word was God. And the word came and dwelt among us. It took on human flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It's through the Son that you come to, to, to a saving relationship with the living God. Now, I don't want to argue about election and God's choice and all that stuff, you know, but the Bible, you'd have to tear a bunch of pages out of your Bible if you don't believe in election. It's there. Ephesians 1, I was going to read it, but we don't have time. 1 Peter 1, John 6, 65. Acts 13, and I'll, I'll read that one for you. Acts 13. He says... And when the Gentiles heard, they rejoiced great, they rejoiced in glorifying God of the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. That's just what God says. But the reality is, along with God choosing whom he saves, which strikes us wrongly because of our pride, by the way, the offer is valid to everyone. And everywhere you see God's sovereignty and salvation, that it is up to him, you see right next to it the offer to everyone for salvation. And that's what we see in our passage. Look at verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. Isn't this wonderful? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. Tremendous, tremendous verses. He is inviting uh, two groups that could be combined into one, or individually, those who are weary, those who are heavy laden. The term weary speaks of great physical toil, strong exertions, hard labor that brings you to a weariness. It could speak of emotional weariness, great difficulty, whatever it might be. It's an intense that speaks of being continually, habitually weary. And folks, sin is wearying. If you have not come to Christ, I guarantee you are weary over your sin. Whether you like it or whether you don't like your sin, you're weary over it. You see, it's going to wear you down. It's going to wear you down. Sin is wearying. And then the phrase heavy laden means to carry heavy burdens. Um, Those who are weary and those who are heavy laden. And I think the heavy laden at this point were the Jews who were who were laden with a false religious system, burdens that they couldn't carry on their own. Maybe you've come to Jesus in your own way through some false religious system, and it is a heavy burden on you, and it's wearisome. We see here that the Pharisees were very clear, very clearly left, laid burdens on the Jews, and they willingly took them, unfortunately. Luke chapter 11, but woe to you Pharisees, you pay, you pay tithe and mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet you disregard justice and love, Luke 11:42. But these things you should have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the front seats in the synagogues, respectful greetings in marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs, and the people walk over you are unaware of that. And one of the lawyers said to him, teacher, you say, you say this, you insult us too. But he said, Woe to you, lawyers, as well. For you weigh down men with burdens hard to bear, while you yourselves are not willing to touch the burdens with one of your fingers. That's what works religion does. Judaism, Jehovah's Witness, Mormonism, Catholicism, Seventh-day Adventism, all those other denominational denominations, works systems weigh you down. And Jesus says, Come to me. All you who are weary, weary of sin, and heavy laden. And what does he say? Emphatically, I, it's emphatic, will give you rest. The term rest speaks of the cessation of effort and thus refreshment. We see that uh, rest is prefigured in what the Israelites uh, received as they left uh, uh, Egypt. It's a salvation rest that we see in Hebrews chapter 4. He says, I'll give you rest. You heavy laden with religious burdens? Jesus will relieve that. But you've got to come to him his way. As a child, believing what he said. There is a judgment. He says, repent. Believe that your sin is what it is, what God says it is. And that he has the right to judge you, but yet he sent his son instead. Come to Jesus. Will you do that? Will you come to Jesus? Maybe you're religious. Maybe you're irreligious. Jesus offers all this offer. Trust in Jesus. It's only through him you'll have true rest. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. And notice he continues. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. Here we have two more commands. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What is he talking about here? I believe he's talking about what is associated with faith in Christ and becoming a disciple. Term learn, mathamonthano, learn from me. Come to me and I'll give you rest and then continue in that rest as you learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. The term yoke spoke of an, a piece of wood placed on an animal. It would be attached to a wagon, a plow, or a mill. It would be used to control the animal. Now that yoke was a slang term later on to be under someone's in submission, in a sense, to be under the yoke of a teacher. He says, take my yoke as a teacher, in a sense, under you. He's saying, submit to me and learn from me. That's what he's saying. And he's going to say, guess what? I'm gentle and humble. I'm not like these burdensome Pharisees. He says, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And that's the only place in Scripture you'll find Jesus describe himself, by the way, in that sense. I am gentle, he says, and humble in heart. That's what Jesus is. Take my yoke upon me, submit to me in a sense, learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. You see, Jesus paid it all. And if you trust in him and come to him, you'll be saved and you'll receive forgiveness of sins and you'll have peace and rest and joy. And then as we walk with Jesus, it's no different. We allow him to bear the burdens. We abide in him and we trust in him and he enables us. It is no problem for Jesus to do anything And when we trust in him, it is no problem for him to do it in us. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. He says, and you shall find rest for your souls. This really applies twofold, by the way, because it's an offer to those wearied with sin and those who are laden by religious sin. But it's also explaining the fact that once you come to him, you're going to be resting in him. You're going to have rest for your soul. Learn from him. Jesus says in John 15, he says, Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit in of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. It is only through Jesus in whom we are saved, and it is only through Jesus on a daily basis that we're able to do what he calls us to do. And his commandments, when you're in Jesus, are not burdensome. They're not. You find rest. So my question for you is, is your soul at rest? Have you entered into salvation rest? Jesus offers it to all who are willing to humble themselves, accept his truth as a child would, and then turn to him with a change of mind about your sin, and what God says about it, and believing what he said about his son Jesus. And he'll give you rest. And you will not go to judgment. There won't be a day of judgment for you in that context. And then for those of us believers, we always see this as a salvation passage, and it is, but it's more than that. He says, take my yoke, put yourself under my authority to be taught. That's what it means. And he says, learn from me. Learn from me. Why? He's gentle and humble in heart. 
He's a good God. He's a gracious God. And you will find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much and praise you for your wonderful grace that is manifest in sending your son Jesus to die for our sins. I thank you that you are a just God and that you will punish evil, that you will justly take care of all sin. And I thank you that although we all have sinned, you sent your son Jesus to die for our sins. I thank you that I have received a pardon through faith in your son Jesus, Lord. I thank you so much. And we thank you for that pardon. Lord, I pray for anyone here who is weary and maybe even heavy laden, whatever it is. I pray they would take up your son's offer and they would go to your son Jesus and receive rest. They would call upon him. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I pray they would not be wise and intelligent in their own uh, pride, Lord God, but that would be they would have a change of mind about their sinful pride and believe what you have said and believe in your son Jesus. And Lord, I pray for those of us who've been saved. We thank you, first of all, so much. Thank you so much that you have saved us. May we continue to learn from your son Jesus. May we submit to him and listen to what he has to say from your word. May we recognize he is gentle and humble in heart and that when we trust and abide in him, there is rest for our souls. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. And it is in his name we pray.